joining us now is one of the great American tenors, George Shirley. Mr. Shirley, what an honor to have you with us again. Thank you very much, Mr. Felson. Oh, much please. <laughs> uh, in case you don't know, and shame on you if you don't know, George Shirley has been uh, a star on the opera stages around the world. I mean, is, is there a major opera house you didn't get a chance to sing in at one time or another? Uh, I'm sure there is. I, I never sang in Paris. Uh, didn't sing the Bolshoi. Um, but uh, I've been blessed to be able to sing in most of the others. Uh, yeah, well, it's their loss. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the places you have. And we have, in case you doubt me, and how dare you for doubting <laughs> me, uh, I, have, <laughs> I have an example of Mr. Shirley uh, and his, his wonderful voice singing some Haydn with Anto Dorati uh, that we'll get to a little bit later on in this hour. Uh, but uh, your history is, um, is actually quite uh, remarkable. You conquered um, a medium, and as an African-American had, I'm sure, the same uh, challenges breaking into uh, that field as, as many others did, but you succeeded. Well, I look at it as having been already written, that uh, I came along at, the, at a time when things were beginning to change. I think if I had come along 10 years earlier, as a tenor, it probably would not have happened in this country. Um, if I had been pursuing a career at the same time that Marian Anderson opened the Metropolitan Opera as the first African-American and Robert McFerrin Sr. as the first African-American male to sing at the Met. Uh, McFerrin was a baritone. He wasn't a tenor. He didn't sing romantic leads <laughs> with sopranos. Yeah. And for a lot of really talented uh, tenors, black tenors, at that time, that social barrier was a thing that prevented them from being able to uh, pursue careers successfully in the United States. But when I came along, 1959, uh, beginning my career in 59 after three years in the Army and one year of teaching high school, Miller High School here in Detroit, uh, things were beginning to shift. And there were people who were bold enough on the other side of the wall to say, well, this is someone that we're going to give a shot. We're going to give him a chance because mm -hmm. we feel he's got something to offer this, uh, this profession. And although there were companies that would not hire me then, there were companies that did and would. My first experience in Woodstock, New York, with a small little opera company, the Tournau Opera Players, a theater that seated 250 people with two pianos. And I, that was my debut season. <laughs> I sang five roles, all in English. And for someone who had not planned on having an operatic career, because that wasn't in my, that wasn't in my vision when I was a student at Wayne University, uh, although I, did my, I sang my first opera at Wayne when Harry Langsford, the Glee Club director, came oh, to me yeah. and said, uh, I want to do Oedipus Rex. <laughs> I said, take a look at the score and take a look at the role of Oedipus and uh, see what you think. And I said, okay. And we did it at the John, uh, Jesse Bonstell Theater. Mm -hmm. It was a great experience. It was the only production that I have ever done, and I've done a number of them, including 
uh, one with Stravinsky in Washington, D.C., but it was the only production that was true to what Stravinsky outlined in the begin- at the front of the score when he detailed how he wanted it staged. And it was a great uh, uh, production. I have a recording of it. This was 1955. Wow. But although... I loved the experience. It did not say to me that that was what I was going to do with my life. I was focused on becoming a music teacher. And I started teaching at Miller the semester before I graduated. And then Uncle Sam came along and messed all that up <laughs> with the draft. But it yeah. turned out, the draft turned out to be the turning point in my professional life because it was while I was there that someone convinced me that I should consider becoming an opera singer. And I decided, okay, I'll give it a couple of years. Who, Someone in the Army convinced you to be an opera singer? One of my colleagues, a fellow named Jack Gillespie, who sang professionally later in Heidelberg as a tenor, as John Gillis, who came back to the States and became and taught at the University of Oklahoma initially and then went to uh, Texas, to Texas Tech, and taught the opera program there and produced some wonderful singers out of that program. Wow. But he's the one who talked me into going to study with an old fellow who had had an operatic career but who was living in Washington and teaching privately in his home. And when I went to audition for this fellow just to get Jack off my back because I was getting ready to get out of the Army and come back and take up my teaching uh, career here in Detroit. Yeah. But he kept pushing me. And so I went to sing for the old guy who looked at me and said, study with me one year, I guarantee you'll have a career. Now this was coming from a Caucasian mm-hmm. who had to know that there were no other black tenors out there having anything like a meaningful career. So I thought, well, okay, I'll give it two years. I signed up for an extra year in order to have an income with my, for, to take care of my wife and our infant daughter. And I studied with him one year. And as it turned out, he somehow knew what he was talking about. <laughs> but I, t- I, I gave myself two years. I said, in two years, I will know whether this is right for me and whether I'm right for it. And if it doesn't work out, then I will have learned things about myself and about the teaching profession that I can share with students when I go back into teaching. So I figured it would be a win-win situation no matter how things turned out. And and apparently you were certainly right. George Shirley is my guest. If, and it's possible, I suppose, you might not know the name of George Shirley, uh, look it up. We'll have more with George Shirley in a moment. But uh, first, let's, uh, well, let's listen. Let's listen to George. This is from uh, Haydn's Orlando Palladino in Act One. There's the aria, De Angelica Il None. Is that right? Did Il I get... Nome, si, si. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Dodge the bullet there. Oh, well, you're uh, in with the professor here. Antal Dorati <laughs> is conducting the Lausanne Chamber Orchestra, and the tenor is, of course, George Shirley. Oh, 
Bravo. That was... Thank you. Wow. I mean... <laughs> wow. You bring in an, an operatic tenor, and you expect that it's going to sound okay. You know? I mean, how bad is it going to be? I suppose it could be pretty bad. But, Believe me, it can be bad. <laughs> yeah. This, Mr. Shirley, that was lovely. That was... Yes. Uh, Beautiful. The power in your voice. Well, and the you. the... Uh, I used the word panache earlier. That was panache, buddy. That's that's what panache sounds like. Yeah, that's yeah. that's somebody I wouldn't want to get on the bad side of. Uh, uh, is there a, a dramatic thing behind that role? I mean, oh, yeah. what, what were you in that? The, he's a a knight, and he falls in love with someone who's also in, who's in love with someone else. So he goes around oh, raging go at this point. He's 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 cutting up. Plants yeah. and so forth. He's he's <laughs> not a happy camper. Yeah, I, I, I got the feeling it wasn't somebody I wanted to mess with. <laughs> but uh, George, let me ask you: What do you say to people who say things like opera? That's elitist. I, you know, I don't. <laughs> well, when I was growing up, the only opera we heard in my house was Grand Ole Opry on Saturday nights. <laughs> My yeah. parents are both from the South, my dad from Kentucky, and my mom from Arkansas. And my mom in particular loved country music. The music in our house was basically sacred, spirituals, mm -hmm. hymns. I started singing with my parents when I was four years old in church in Indianapolis, where I was born. 
and we used to sing and perform at churches in and around the city. Uh, we came to Detroit, joined Ebenezer Amy Church, and the music continued on a very high level. My mom sang the senior choir. I sang. I sang my first recitals at Ebenezer, and this was a mix of song literature that was taught to me at that time by one of the church organists, a woman named Alberta Harris. And my parents started me studying voice when I was 13 with the late Amos Ebersol, and he introduced me to an operatic aria or two, some uh, German leader, some uh, French melody, some Italian art songs, and I shuddered to remember how I butchered those languages at the time. <laughs> at the time, uh, yeah. But it was preparing me for something that I wasn't focused on. Mm-hmm. I had a good friend named Thurman Bailey. We went to Wayne, and uh, Thurman was a huge opera fan, African-American, and he would ask me, have you got your ticket to see the Met when they come to town or the New York City Opera? I said, no, man, I'm not interested in going down there and seeing people standing around with horns on their heads and spears in their hands. <laughs> if I want to hear a concert, I'll go to a song recital or a choral concert. Or maybe I was becoming more and more enamored of, of orchestral music. And I said, you know, maybe I'll try to go to the, 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 the symphony. But uh, no, opera is not an option. And when I started uh, uh, teaching at uh, Miller High, Choral music was a huge thing. My high school music teacher, who was a fabulous teacher, the late Claire Weimer at Northern High, exposed all of us to great choral literature. We sang stuff that was as demanding as what they were given at uh, Cass Tech. Mm. Every, every Christmas, we sang Messiah. I started singing the tenor solos in Messiah in the 11th grade. My first experience with the Verdi Requiem was when we sang wow. the first chorus on one of our spring concerts, and I sang the tenor solos. So when I got to Wayne, I had a pretty solid musical background. I started playing euphonium in a, in a community band that was formed at our church. So my scholarship at Wayne was a band scholarship, actually. Every wow. football season, a $95 scholarship, which was the t- cost of tuition back in those days. So my parents only had to come up with the 95 bucks uh, every off-season. And so my, my education, my musical education in Detroit was second to none. Mm-hmm. And at Wayne, it continued. So, but opera wasn't an option. When I entered the Army Chorus, I was surrounded by guys who would go on to have operatic careers. That was the first time I had that kind of, of, of atmosphere. And when I was challenged by this friend, Jack Gillespie, I thought, well, let me see what will happen. But in 1950, the Army Chorus didn't travel that much. The, 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 the uh, chorus that traveled was at Fort Meade, Maryland, the Soldiers' Chorus. We mm-hmm. did most of the stuff around Washington, D.C., the banquets and what have you. But on occasion, we would take a trip. And one year we went out, in 1957, we went out to California to sing for an ROTC convention in the mountains. So, and Captain Laboda, who eventually became the commander of the Army Band, had scheduled a concert with the Denver Symphony on the way back. So we had about two or three days free. And on one of those days, I and three of my colleagues, one of whom was our barbarian, who was from wow. Southfield, Michigan, mm-hmm. who yeah. took a degree in law from Michigan mm-hmm. but never used it and sang for 20-some years at the Metropolitan Opera, um, we wound up that afternoon in Central City. 
Central City is a big tourist town, and it has an opera house. Opera season. We were walking. We were walking down the main street, and Ira saw someone that he had been in law school with in Michigan. This fellow that he saw was the chief tour guide for the summer, and also the head usher for the opera. So we wound up with about five tickets to see Rigoletto with Frank Guerrera, one of the Mets stalwarts, a soprano named Joan Carroll, who was having a fine career in Germany, and two other Met people. And the tenor was a fellow named John Crane, who sang with the New York City Opera. And I sat there that night, and I've I've told this story time and time again. I sat there listening to John Crane blow the walls out of that little theater, and I thought, it's a good thing I never wanted to be an opera singer because I can never do that all night long. Little realizing that four years later, I'd make my debut at the Metropolitan Opera with Frank Guerrera in Cosi Fantute, and two years after that, sing the American premiere of Lulu in Santa Fe with Joan Carroll. I tell my students, you don't know what's written for you. Mm-hmm. What you must do at this point, wherever you find yourself, is to dedicate yourself to doing the work that's in front of your nose because only God knows where it's going to take you.